Welcome to the Coventry Vineyard Podcast. Wherever and whenever you're listening, we hope you're blessed by this message. If you want to find out more about our church or speak with someone about Jesus, head to coventryvineyard.org. Right at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus stood up in a a hall or a meeting place and said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And then he turned later on to his disciples. He said, go and make disciples. And today, what I want to look at is how do we join in the conversation that God is already having with somebody? Because what we often think is we, we have to kind of, we have to do the final deal. We have to kind of, it feels like a sales pitch sometimes. It feels like an elevator lift, like this is what we're going to have to do. And we're going to convince them with our amazing rhetoric, our amazing logic, that they're wrong and we're right, and we're going to convert them to our religion of Christianity. And that's not what we're talking about today. So there was a famous Indian missionary at the beginning of the 20th century called Sadhu Sundar Singh. And he was completely disillusioned with the materialism and the colonialism of Western society, and no blaming him. And he tried to forge an Indian identity for the Indian church. And he used to lament that Indian Christians were coerced, really, to adopt British customs, literature, and dress, which had nothing to do with Jesus and following Jesus. And so he was rejecting the British culture enforced on him so he could preach the gospel with sensitivity to his fellow Indians. He said this once, he said, like Jesus, I want no home, no possessions. And some was thinking, okay, that's fine for you, but I quite like my home and I like my possessions. He went on to say, like him, like Jesus, I will belong to the road, sharing the suffering of my people, eating with those who will give me shelter and telling all men and women of the love of God. He was described as the apostle of the bleeding feet, which isn't a great title, is it? Because he used to walk around and tell people about Jesus. He used to preach the gospel. And he once told a story of, and bear in mind, this is in Indian society. We've got different caste system. You've got high caste and low caste. He once told a story of a high caste man in India who collapsed from heat exhaustion while he was waiting at a train station. And someone ran to a tap, filled a cup with water, and brought it to the man in an attempt to revive him. But in spite of his condition, the passenger wouldn't accept the water because it was given to him in a cup of a man from a much lower caste. Then someone noticed that this high caste man had a cup sitting just next to him on the platform. And he took it, filled it with water, and returned it and offered it to the man, who now readily accepted this water with gratitude. And the point of that story was that Singh was saying was, he said to his audience, this is what I've been trying to say to you. This is what I've been trying to say to you missionaries from abroad that have come over here. You've been offering the water of life to the people of India in a foreign cup, and we have been slow to receive it. If you will offer it in our own cup, we are much more likely to accept it. See, when we offer the gospel, are we doing so in a way that will be received? Or do we come across as arrogant or ignorant or just 
you know, what are, what are we offering to people when we preach the gospel, when we share the good news of Jesus? Now, Jesus had many different approaches with many different uh, people that he spoke with. For some people, he'd say, follow me. You see that in Matthew 4. For one person, he says, don't follow me, go away, which is an interesting approach. In Mark 5, 18 to 20, there's the approach with the Samaritan woman at the well. He says, if you only knew who it is that's standing in front of you. Then there's the don't be so self-righteous approach. There's also the I'm going to come over to your house for dinner approach. There's the, the give it all away approach. There's the let's talk deep theology approach. And then there's the you amaze me with your faith approach. He had different ways of talking to people depending on their worldview or depending on their need. And so preaching the gospel is not a sales pitch. Evangelism is not simply about getting people across a finish line. And in the West, we've often reduced the gospel to getting people to make that decision. And we've so focused on making converts that we've forgotten that we've been given the mission by Jesus of making disciples. Now, evangelism really means that you are a chapter in the narrative of somebody's journey to Jesus. You're joining in the conversation that God is already having with them. And estimates suggest that it often takes 30 encounters for someone to finally make a commitment of faith. It's not always done there and then, that your conversation with somebody might follow on from another conversation they've had with somebody else. And you might be that one person that then links them onto somebody else. And you might, not be, you might not close the deal, but your input is very, very important. So we're going to do a little bit of uh, sociology today. And we're all sociologists because we all study human behavior and other people in our societies. We're also going to do a little bit of theology today because we're all theologians. We all think of, we have views of who God is. And the question today is not how do I make that salvation sale? The question is how do I make a meaningful contribu contribution to the conversation that God is already having with somebody who I come across maybe tomorrow, maybe this afternoon. Because if we listen long enough and well enough, people will tell us where God is starting a conversation with them. And just like Jesus, our job is to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in the conversation and trust that he will do what only God can do, which is move someone's heart whether we are there to see the fruit or not. We listen to the person in front of us and the Holy Spirit at the same time. It's like double listening. You're listening to the person, but you're also listening to the Holy Spirit. So there's really one point, that preaching the gospel is simply joining God in the conversation he's already having with someone. This is what Jesus does so skillfully time and time again. So how do we share the good news of Jesus in culturally sensitive ways, and maybe with people who have, a, who have a different worldview to yourself. So as I said, we're going to do a bit of sociology. Um, I'm going to do this really, really quickly. Bounded set model, okay? You're kind of either in or you're out. And that's kind of what sometimes church feels like, that these people over here, they're out, and they have to cross oops, as he kicks the stand. It's all right, I'm okay. <laughs> it's all out of sync, no, no. Let's kick it back. There we go. B, 
These people are all in. Some people are really happy to be in. Some people are a bit fed up. Some people are just confused. Steve Temple. Some people are just shocked. How on earth did I manage to get in? And so we have to try and convince people to get from out to in and cross that line. That's bounded set. You're either in or out. You join the club. Centered set is slightly different. The line is still there. There is still an element of in and out, but it's a bit blurred and it's a bit permeable. And instead of being in or out, try not to kick it this time, everybody has a direction of travel. So this person has got an arrow going towards Jesus because Jesus is at the center. The person over here is getting closer to Jesus. The person here who is in is starting to move away from Jesus. And we see that in our community sometimes, that some people are, gosh, I feel like a weatherman. I should have a green screen. That people are starting to move away. There's this warm front coming from over here. Or there's somebody way over here who maybe had an arrow going that way who is just starting to move around and starting to move towards Jesus, but they feel like they're a long way off. And we say, well, you are welcome. You are welcome to, on that journey towards Jesus. And I think that really helps us when we think about the gospel and preaching the gospel. So using that centre-set model, people turn away from their other allegiances and direct their lives towards Jesus. If you said yes to following Jesus, it's what you did at some point. At one point you said, Jesus, yes, I'm going to follow you. I've still got loads of questions. I haven't got it all together, but I'm going to start to begin that journey towards you. And we're all on that journey towards Jesus. So evangelism and preaching the gospel helps people into a lifelong journey of discipleship and disciple-making by keeping allegiance to Christ who is at the centre. Now, authors Jay Moon and Bud Simon define in their book effective intercultural evangelism as this. It's the process of putting Christ at the centre of someone's worldview in order to initiate them into Christian discipleship through culturally relevant starting points. What that's saying is, um, how do we help people on that journey? And how do we do it sensitively? And for them, it's all about striving to find that cup that provides a suitable starting point for a faith conversation. So Jesus will be in the center of that person's worldview. And as I said, everyone is on a journey and where do we start in our attempt to catch up on God's conversations with others? What if we saw evangelism as a stage in the process of making disciples instead of evangelism and discipleship being two separate categories? That evangelism is then linked to that disciple-making journey as one continuous journey. So when something like evangelism is regarded as simply raising a hand or praying a prayer, it may lead to decisions, but it doesn't always lead to someone being a disciple whose life is then transformed by the love and the life of Jesus. And as you've heard me say again and again and again, it's all about being a disciple. It's all about being a disciple-making disciple. That making disciples is not just my job, 
But for all of us who say, yes, we're following Jesus, we all are making disciples. And you're going to have conversations with people this week who are going to ask you about your faith. You're going to have conversations with people and you're just going to get that little prompting by the Holy Spirit of saying, why don't you ask them this question? Why don't you have some courage? Not, why don't you now preach the gospel? But ask a question. Be a friend to somebody. Come alongside them. Encourage them. What is it that you love about Jesus? So we reframe the question from, how do I move someone from a belief system I don't understand into a Christian belief system? To the question, how do I cooperate with God's existing conversation with this person from a different belief system to move them in the direct direction of, towards Jesus. So we live in a much more uh, pluralistic and multicultural world than, actually, no, even in the first century where Jesus was, there was lots of people from lots of different cultures. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at four different worldviews and then we're going to try and say, well, what does this mean for you and I? And a worldview is really an assumption or a framework that a group of people has about the nature of reality, which they then use to order their lives. It encompasses uh, images or maps of the reality of all things that you then use for living out your life. So in this kind of, uh, that sort of definition, underlying cultural assumptions compose a worldview. And we all see the world through a particular worldview. So I don't know if you watched the FA Cup final yesterday. Um, Somebody like, I can't be bothered. I was much more interested in Eurovision. <laughs> but there was a moment there where you had Liverpool fans and Chelsea fans. And all the, all the paper, well, some of the papers today were talking about how some of the Liverpool fans booed. And people say, oh, isn't that shocking? And they were booing when uh, Prince William was doing his thing. And people say, what is the worldview? What is the narrative? Because the narrative of people that live in Liverpool, going back all the way to the 70s and 80s, is very different to the narrative of people that live in what, West London, in Chelsea. And so sometimes we don't know the narrative that somebody has. But we can ask some questions. You know, what, what grieves you? What angers you? What, and, and engage with people. So I want to just talk about one worldview that you're probably familiar with, which is kind of the one that we tend to have in the West. And so this table's going to get a bit bigger. I'm sorry about the size of the, the uh, text, if it's a bit small. If you're on the live stream, that'll be fine for you because it should show up. I know it'll be even smaller, won't it? But you can go back to it later, or if you want the slides, just ask me. So we have a guilt and justice worldview in this culture, generally speaking. The, the result of sin is separation and guilt. That The solution in Jesus, there's a payment or a substitute. There's an image of a courtroom. Um, and the relationship with God is that he's the judge who declares that we're not guilty. So in Psalm 38, it says, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. And things like Romans 6, 23, it says, the wages of sin is death. And that's often the classic gospel message that we tend to talk about in the West. And that tends to be the lens that we see things through. 
it creates a bit of an individ individualistic culture that we live in. It's kind of do whatever you want as long as it doesn't hurt someone. The gospel is then communicated in terms of how can I get right with God? How do you pay for your sins? How can you be forgiven when you move away from God's law and justice? Or the question, if you're going to die tomorrow, then where would you go? Is all linked to this. And so in this worldview, we communicate the gospel in terms of courtroom language with punishment, condemnation, penalty, judgment, law and debts sacrifice, payment, justification, and forgiveness. And there isn't anything wrong with that, but not everybody has that guilt-justice worldview. So a second view would be more of a shame-honor worldview, which, generally speaking, is sort of Asia, South America, North Africa, and probably most of where, where Jesus was in the Middle East back in his day that the result of sin isn't just separation of guilt, it's also shame. And the solution in Jesus is that honour is restored. It's all about relationship and cleansing, and that there's a father who restores honour. A sociologist reckoned that 70 to 80% in the world, 70 to 80% of the people in the world have a shame-honour worldview. That they don't see the lens of, of guilt and justice as we might do in the West. So instead of high individualism, some cultures are characterized by what we call high collectivism, which leads to a key difference between guilt and justice and shame, honor societies. So whereas in a guilt-based worldview, someone might say, I made a mistake. In a shame-based worldview, they might say, I am a mistake. And back in 2014, so I've got another football analogy. Back in 2014, Brazil played Germany in the World Cup final. Does anyone remember what the score was? 2014 World Cup final? 7-1. Well done. It was. It was 7-1 to Germany. Now, the entire nation of Brazil went into deep, deep shock because it's a shame on a culture. Brazilian fans commented, our nation is hurt. We will need to face people making fun of us for the rest of our lives. Most of you have forgotten, apart from James. <laughs> One person said, I feel ashamed to be a Brazilian. Now, in shame, honor cultures, what you do affects the entire community. So when someone says shame on you, which is an awful thing to say, it's really saying you have brought shame on our community. You have brought shame on our family. You see, shame always requires an audience, whereas guilt, you can just feel guilty all on your own. And members of a shame-honor culture are expected to maintain the social status of the group, often at the expense of personal desires. Now, a really key part of the, the Bible, well, a key example of this is the, when, when Jesus meets the Samaritan woman in John 4, where the reason, I mean, the, the, the woman is at the well in the middle of the day. Um, so it says in chapter 4, verse 4, he had to go through Samaria, eventually came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus sat tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. 
Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. And then begins a conversation. And all through the rest of that conversation, because of time, I don't think we're going to go through all that, but read through that conversation. Read through how skilled Jesus is at asking really good questions and getting to the point of, why is this woman going to get water in the middle of the day? It's because she's in a shame on her culture. And it's probably so that she can avoid the other women that would normally get water at the beginning of the day or the end of the day. Brené Brown defines shame as the fear of disconnection from others because of something they did or failed to do. Shame causes people to see themselves as unworthy of love or belonging. And I think in our culture, we're moving more towards a shame on a culture than a guilt justice culture. Another factor in the rise of shame on a worldview is, is the increased use of social media, which provides that ready audience. So the, in, the internet has uh, facilitated exposure while at the same time raising the value of our public image. In this environment, shame becomes accessible as a way to influence others in society. Because a wide community, a wide audience can then access and see what's going on in, in your own life. And social media is, is tweaking the shame honor worldview towards a shame fame worldview. Because it provides like a, a, a metric to gauge whether you are accepted based on the number of likes you have or retweets or shares and all the rest. So you know if you are good or bad almost immediately as the online responses reveal whether you are honoured or famed or excluded and shamed. And so if you're getting all of your input from social media, you're in an extreme shame, honour culture. In this worldview, we communicate the gospel in terms of community language, about alienation and exclusion, allegiance and loyalty, hospitality and harmony, identity and community, adoption and inheritance. That's right why when we do a journey group, we tend to start with the story of the prodigal son. It's a story of shame and honor, where the father runs to the son and brings him back and restores honor to the child. Maybe a similar question is, instead of, if you're gonna to die tomorrow, where are you gonna go? Maybe a better question is, if you're going to live tomorrow, how are you going to live? Which I think is a much, much better question. Right, third one, fear and power. This creates a culture where people live in constant fear of unseen powers. It's where the spiritual powers of the world intermingle with the material world. And for some reason, we might think, well, that doesn't happen anymore, surely. It happens a lot more than you might think. In this worldview, spiritual forces are at work which affect daily life. So things like illness and failures and accidents and debt and war. And so to control the unknowns of life and ward off evil, you might have secret techniques or rituals which are then used to make life go well for you or to appease the powers. And so modernism may dismiss the fear-power worldview as unscientific superstition, yet even in our Western worldview, many people have superstitious beliefs that if you do something good, then something good will happen to you. If you do something bad, then something bad will happen. 
So I shouted at this person, therefore I've had a car crash. That, that sort of escalation type thing. So people in the fear power worldview want to know what power Jesus has to overcome their fear. I'm going to skip a whole load of stuff. And I think we do tap into this quite a lot, especially with things like conspiracy theories, with our news. Our news feeds on our fear. Um, with like social media, if we're constantly feeding ourselves on a news which is negative, it escalates our fears. And then sociologists are suggesting that there's a, a fourth worldview, which is really indifference and belonging. That people, when you talk about them about faith or about Jesus, the response is, I just don't care. It doesn't mean anything to me. See, the gospel provides a unique answer to indifference, just as all the others do. Instead of emphasizing that Jesus' death and resurrection offers justice, honor, or power, the gospel addresses the needs of the indifferent by providing belonging with a purpose. It's all about coming home. And so in Luke 19, there's the story of Zacchaeus, which portrays Jesus' encounter with someone who is indifferent to the religious system of his day. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was considered a traitor to the Jewish people and was likely a thief who charged more taxes than he should. He was an outsider to the Jewish religious community. Therefore, he was indifferent to his faith, just didn't really care. And Jesus takes a different approach. He says, I'm going to come to your house for tea. And he and his disciples come to visit Zacchaeus' house, which you could also say is a bit of a, an honor as well. And amid that, that visit, Zacchaeus finds that he now belongs in their community and finds a new purpose for his work. So Zacchaeus demonstrates this faith by proclaiming that he will repay all the money that he defrauded of people. He finds some purpose within a new community. And Jesus says this, he says in Luke 19, 9 to 10, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. He is, he does belong into this faith. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. I think in our own culture, uh, younger people who come to faith often comment that it's the sense of belonging with a purpose that has drawn them to Jesus and to a faith community. We heard about it earlier with, when Joe was praying for us right at the beginning. God puts the lonely into families. And we found that over the last six months that what seems to have happened in our church is we've got a much more, not just a family feel, but we're in this together that we have had some really tough times, but it feels like there's a greater sense of family, not just biological family, but there's a place for you to belong. And we haven't all got it together, that some of us are still on that journey, but we're in this together. There's a place to belong. Finally on this, you should note that 
people might have a combination of these different views. A bit like a soundboard. So at the back there, sound team are carefully listening to everything that's been said and with the balance of the, the music earlier and just moving those sliders up. And so you might have more of a guilt justice worldview or more of an indifference worldview. And our task is to listen in to those conversations to the person but also to the Holy Spirit and sense where are they on their journey and how do we ask really good questions? How do we be a friend to somebody and preach the gospel in a way that is culturally sensitive? So four ways that you can join in the conversation that God is already having with somebody this week. Firstly, be a friend. Invite people to belong. Show some hospitality. And hospitality is not just putting on a meal or whatever. It's, um, well, actually, Vicky's going to be preaching on this next week. So it's all about preaching the gospel by practicing hospitality. So there you go. Set that one up for you. Also, secondly, ask questions, but not in like an interrogate, interrogation sort of way. Ask some really good questions and listen carefully. Listen to the person that's speaking and listen to the Holy Spirit. Share your story. Where are you on that journey of moving towards Jesus? And how do you invite other people into that journey? You, you share your story, but you also share his story. What is it that captured your heart about Jesus? What is it when you read the Gospels that you love about Jesus? What is it about some of the interactions that Jesus has with people? You think, this sounds like my friend and they would love to hear this story. I'm aware that we haven't had an awful lot of Bible today. Normally, I like to take a verse and go through it. So I want you to just close your eyes, and I'm going to read this out to you. If you don't want to close your eyes, it's going to be up on the screen anyway. And I want to pray this over us. In Colossians 4, Paul says this. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. So let me encourage you to pray for your friends. Pray for your work colleagues. Pray for your family. Pray for conversations today or tomorrow. And don't be afraid if you don't have all the answers. Paul goes on to say, pray for us too that God may open a door for our message that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in, cha in chains. So Holy Spirit, we pray that you would open a door for the message of the gospel, that we would speak to others. We would listen carefully. We would have conversations. Paul goes on to say, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. So Jesus, I just pray that we would be wise in how we talk to people. We'd listen to their worldviews. We'd listen to where they're coming from but also we'd make the most of every opportunity. And finally, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So Jesus, I just pray that you'd 
by your spirit, fall in this place. Lord, that our words would be always full of grace. Lord, that where it says we may know how to answer everyone, we wouldn't just have like clever, logical arguments, but we'd meet people where they are on their journey. for tuning in today. We would love to connect with you on a Sunday morning soon. Bless you and have a great week.